I want to invite you to open in your Bibles to, excuse me, Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. We've been on a journey over the last year going through the book of Acts, and you may think to yourself, how in the world are we only in Acts 16? Well, we take breaks, okay? So give, cut us some slack here a little bit. But uh, we're actually in a series right now for, for the next few weeks and probably next month or two uh, through this series called To the World, To the World. And uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 15. So I want to invite you to follow along as I read aloud from God's word here this morning. <clears throat> says this, Acts chapter 16, verse 1, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decision that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. This is the word of the Lord. Like I said, we're in a series right now called To the World. And just as a reminder, because I do not want us to forget this, the theme verse of the entire book of Acts is found in chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus says to his disciples after he'd risen from the dead, before he ascended to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit down on Pentecost, he gave them this charge. He says, you will be my witnesses of what you've seen in me to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We've seen this progression of the gospel of Jesus proclaimed by the apostles, this mission that was given by Jesus to them as it starts to spread a little bit farther and a little bit farther and a little bit farther. And as we're going to see, it's going to hit new places that it's never hit before through this journey that Paul and his friend Silas and others were on together. But you see, their mission to the end of the earth, it's not just their mission, it's also our mission. We've inherited that mission of Jesus Christ taking the gospel and being his witnesses to the world uh, from them. 
In fact, that's, that's our mission statement. I like to repeat it because I forget things very quickly, and I don't want us to forget our mission statement. Why are we here today? Why do we gather as a community of Christ followers together? Well, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples of all nations as we live in loving community. Do you hear it there? Disciples of all nations, you will be my witnesses to the end of the earth. So we say we love Christ and we live sent You see, a life that's been transformed by the gospel becomes a sent life. Someone who feels that that urgency, that joyful urgency of saying, I get to go live on mission for Jesus now. Just like somebody who told me the gospel was sent on mission to be sent to me. But living sent means that we go out into the world. Church isn't over in here in a few minutes or longer, depending on how long I preach, right? We go out into the world, into our neighborhoods our workplaces, our mission fields, our schools, our family gatherings, and we go with a message that's not of this world. It's a message that's been given to us by God supernaturally, and we see it revealed in the scriptures. The gospel is a message of grace, and it's a message, though, that confronts every one of us right at the core of our being. It reveals our sin. It speaks the truth about who we are. It reveals our condition. It exposes our behaviors and our attitudes. It even confronts our self-righteousness and our pride in thinking, I'm not as bad as Joe over there, right? If your name's Joe, I'm sorry, right? But as fill in the blank, Bill or Steve or whatever. I'm trying to think of names of people that I don't know that are here in this church, but... I'm not as bad as them, and but the gospel confronts us in our self-righteousness to say, but, but just because you think you're better than fill in the blank doesn't make you right before God. It confronts us right where we are. And it, the gospel calls us to repent and to look in faith to Jesus as Savior and Lord. And for many people, as we go out and live sent, that's a tough message to sell. I love what Matt Rumbaugh said as I was getting to know you as a church family and just kind of get to know your, your area here. And I asked Matt, I said, what, what's one of the biggest challenges about ministry here in Fairfax and in Northern Virginia and the greater Washington, D.C. area? He goes, well, it's hard because you got to tell people that they're not quite as awesome as they think they are. <laughs> right? Right? I mean, we, I mean, we got some awesome people that live in this region. We got some of those here in this church, Right? And you've got just amazing jobs and educations and all kinds of things, but the gospel confronts us and it says, you're not as awesome as you think you are. You're not right before a holy God. The gospel confronts us. How do we live then sent in that situation? Now, we're entering the fall season. We've got Thanksgiving coming up, and, and I know there's that, that saying that goes, you know, when you sit around the dinner table with friends and family for a special event, there's some topics that you just don't bring up, Right? Don't you dare bring up politics. Don't bring up religion. Let's try, and, let's try and keep this as neutral as we can be so we don't start any arguments here at this dinner table, right? Oh, I was thinking about this this week. Are Americans, are we too offensive? Are we too easily offended? I saw this in Pew Research from a, a study that was um, uh, demonst- uh, shared in November of 2021. It says about two-thirds of Americans, about 65%, say... Uh, say that people being too easily offended by what others say is a major problem in our country today. Two-thirds of Americans say that people being too easily offended, they're offendable. That's a major problem in our country. But then on the reverse, about half or 53% say that people saying things that are very offensive to others is a major problem, 
right? So two-thirds are saying people are too easily offended. And then another group, a large majority, says, but yeah, but we also are saying things that are offensive to others. So we're easily offendable and we go around saying things that are just frankly offensive, right? And then we think about we're called to live sent with a gospel message that confronts us in our sin. So which is it? Are we too offended? Are we too offensive? Offensiveness, it goes both ways. How do Christians live sent with a confrontational message in a culture of offensiveness? And as we look at this text this morning, I think we'll get some insight and some clues and some light to know how do we live in such a day. Well, and here's our big idea this morning. Living sent means living sensitively. Living sent means living sensitively. Now, you may be thinking, now hold on, Pastor Matthew. Now, all of a sudden, I got to be walking on eggshells with people, right? I got to always be worried about what I'm going to say or what I'm going to do, that it's going to offend somebody. No, but, but think about this, this term sensitivity. It means to be sensible. It means having an awareness, being responsive, having a, a self-consciousness uh, about who you are in the midst of others and caring about the needs of others. It's having an acute mental or emotional sensibility. It's aware of and responsive to the feelings of others. Sensitivity. Some synonyms for that. Not cinnamon, but synonym, right? Uh, it means to be conscious, keen, receptive, also perceptive, and responsive to others. That word keen, I don't use it a lot, so I had to look up that one too, right? It's characterized by strength and distinctness of perception, extremely sensitive or responsive. As a gospel people, I think we're called to be keen, keenly aware of the needs and statuses and, and issues and needs and, and just hurts of others. Living sent means living sensitively, but I'm not talking about that I'm easily offended all the time or I'm going around just offending others by what I say unnecessarily, no, but we want to be a gospel-sensitive people, a people that say, I want to make sure that the gospel gets the, the first line in the marquee here of my life so that when people see my life, they see Jesus and him crucified and risen for the sins of the world. For the sake of the glory of God and fulfilling his mission through the advancement of the gospel, you and I are called and we can demonstrate gospel sensitivity to those in our lives who may be different than us, but we do that in accordance with the priorities given to us from God through the gospel. So we're sensitive, but we're gospel sensitive. Now, sensitivity, I have to tell you, it's hard because I don't like changing. I don't like telling people that, you know what, the way you do things is the wrong way when I've been doing it all my life and it feels like the right way to me, right? So we're called, the first thing we're going to see, we're called to adapt, Gospel sensitivity means that we adapt. Secondly, sensitivity to, for the gospel's sake means that we, we wait. We're willing to wait for God to open doors for us to be able to boldly step in and say, I want to share Jesus with you. Sometimes God closes those doors, but we got to wait patiently, not assuming that it's not our calling to go and share the gospel and live sent, but God is saying, hold on a second. I'm going to show you that open door. And then thirdly, we seek. We seek those opportunities to live sent and speak boldly the gospel of Jesus Christ because living sent means living sensitively. Let's take a look at the first one together. We adapt, we adapt. In verses one through five, we see that, <clears throat> that Paul meets this young man 
named Timothy as he goes into uh, Lystra, a uh, city that was there. He was there at before, and, and here's this, this Timothy. He's a believer, and his mom was a believer. In fact, we know from uh, 2 Timothy that his grandmother was a believer. This is an intergenerational faith that has been passed on to Timothy from his, from his parents, uh, from his mother, excuse me, and his grandmother. But it says that his father was a Greek. His father was a Greek. He was a Gentile. He was not a Jew, and he wasn't a, a believer in Jesus. But he it doesn't say he was a good or bad dad. He was just a dad, but he wasn't a, he wasn't a Christian. But Timothy was raised to fear God, and he was well spoken of by the brothers in his hometown. But what does Paul do? What does Paul do? He sees, sees Timothy there, and because he knows that Timothy's dad is a Greek, that would mean that Timothy, even though he had a Jewish mother, he wouldn't have been raised under Judaism from the side of his father. Therefore, he wouldn't have been circumcised. Now, circumcision, if you're not familiar with what's going on here, circumcision was a sign that was given to God's people and the first person that God gave this covenant to, all the way back in the book of Genesis, at the beginning of the Bible, God said, you, Abraham, are going to be my chosen man. And from you is going to come a blessed promise that's going to be a blessing to the whole world. But because you are my chosen man and you are going to be my chosen people, I want you to have a sign on your bodies that shows that I have made a covenant with you. And that sign of the covenant was circumcision. And so all the little boys that were born in Israel, after the eighth day they were born, they were circumcised from generation to generation to generation to show on their bodies the sign of the covenant that God had made with Abraham and with his people. But Timothy didn't receive that sign of the covenant because his dad was a Greek. So Paul decides to circumcise Timothy. Now, it's cruel to do that to an eight-day-old uh, eight little boy, but this is a, a young man. And so I'm sure this must have been very painful and very challenging for Timothy to get into. I won't get into that, though. We're going to just stop there. But his dad was a Greek, so he wasn't circumcised. What's going on here, though? I mean, if you're, if you're recalling, just a chapter ago in Acts 15, there was this big discussion, this controversy, and this decision by the council of elders and, and apostles in Jerusalem. And they made the decision in accordance with the gospel. They said that Gentiles didn't need to get circumcised or to observe the culturally specific laws of Moses to be included in the family of God. And for that, I say, praise the Lord. Okay, I'm a Gentile. I am so grateful that God says you are welcomed into this family by one thing and one thing alone, by faith in Jesus Christ. It's the gospel plus nothing that qualifies us to be a part of God's family. But so what's going on here? Why does Paul do this? Well, Timothy didn't need to be circumcised in Paul's view for salvation or inclusion in the church. Timothy was already in because of his faith in Jesus. Paul did this for this purpose, for ministry. He did it because he said, Timothy, I want you to go with me, and we're going to go, and we're going to live sent. You see, what Paul was demonstrating and what he was demonstrating to Timothy and what Timothy was willing to do was a sensitivity to the beliefs and practices of the Jews to whom they were going to be sent in all the cities they were going to. You see, when Paul would start in a city, he would go to a synagogue because he knows that the Bible was there and he could go and, and make his appeal according to Scripture to those Jews that they would receive their Messiah, that they would become full Jews by, by, by coming in to receive their Messiah who is Jesus and be part of the family of God through him, this Messiah that they've been waiting for for generations upon generations. So Paul was teaching Timothy that for the sake of the gospel, he needed to demonstrate the sensitivity to adapt. 
to become a full Jew so that he could reach other Jews, so that they could know you didn't reject the sign of circumcision, you know, all this time. You actually became one of us, and you've received your Messiah. You've received him. He needed to demonstrate the sensitivity to be adapt, not to be saved, but to reach Jews with the gospel. He became a full Jew to reach Jews so that Jews could reach, uh, excuse me, embrace their Messiah and fully become God's people by faith. This was a sensitivity to adapt. And it was painful. It was hard. But Timothy says, I'm willing to do it. Paul says, I'm so glad that you are. Let's do this. Let's get you prepared. And let's get on the road. And let's go do ministry. We're going to reach Jews. We're going to reach Gentiles. We're going to go into the world with this message that the gospel plus nothing saves. And Timothy, you're going to have new opportunities and new open doors in reaching people that you couldn't reach before because they knew that your father was a Greek. So we're going to go live sent, and we're going to adapt together. Paul expresses this very same idea. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 22 to 23, Paul writes this. He says, I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. Why? Why are you doing this, Paul? I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Right before he writes this, he says, to the Jews, I, I become, I'll, I'll eat like a Jew. To the Gentiles, I'll, I'll eat like a Gentile. I, I'm doing all this because the gospel is so incredibly significant, and it trumps every other issue, and so I am willing to adapt to any situation that you put me in, and I'm asking Timothy to do it too. Living sent means living sensitively in your life, so much so that you're willing to adapt to the needs and circumstances of others, not so that they see you, but so that they may see Jesus. You see, we all come with barriers. We all come with obstacles. I have my own personal preferences. I have my own personal desires. Pastor Hang and I, from time to time, will go out and have some lunch and talk ministry together and strategic planning. And this one time he said, Matthew, I want you to go to uh, this place where they have this Chinese buffet. And he says, I'm going to order for you in Chinese. I said, let's do it. That's great. This is great. And he orders all this stuff with eyes and stuff that were looking at me. And I said, Hang, I don't know if I can do this, man. I don't know if I could do this. That was a cultural barrier for me, but I ate it, and I don't go back without them now. I don't do that. I don't choose to do that on my own. But you have them too. You have cultural barriers and obstacles for you to be able to reach other people, and it's okay. You're born with that, right? You're, you're, you're nurtured in that. There's nothing wrong with that. Culture is good, but sometimes culture, when it contradicts somebody else, Jesus is saying, will you go live sent to that person? Are they too far for you? Are they too different than you? Or can you adapt and ask the Lord to say, Lord, show me how you want me to adapt so that I can have the attitude of Timothy and Paul, that I can become all things to all people because I want to have gospel sensitivity. That's what it means to live sent. Overcoming cultural barriers in your life, not bowing, not compromising, but saying, I'm willing to give up stuff that just frankly isn't all that important compared to the gospel on their behalf so that they may see Jesus. I love learning so much from others unlike me. Friends, I'm on a journey. I haven't arrived yet. I have friends that, that are Nigerians. They've taught me so much. They're like family to me. I have family, friends that, that are so close from, from Kenya, Filipinos, 
The city where I came from in, in, in California, the, the little town there in the San Francisco Bay Area, the largest ethnic demographic was actually Filipino. I had just some beautiful brothers and sisters in Jesus who were Filipino. It was so awesome to get to know them, to eat food with them, for them to share stories with me and help me see my blind spots and things that I say when I stick my foot in my mouth. Chinese, Korean, African-American, wealthy, poor, people that just, that, that some look like me, but some don't. And even if we do look to get alike or if we sound alike, we still have differences. We come from different families. But God has called us because of gospel sensitivity to adapt so that we could reach and live sent and live sensitively. I want to ask you, will you adapt? Are you still stuck in your ways, stuck in your rhythms, stuck in your habits and your preferences that you'd say, well, if they would be willing to do this, maybe they would get a chance to hear the gospel from me. Friends, we're called to live sensitively, like Timothy, like Paul, say, Timothy, I want you to make uh, yourself as effective as you can be for the sake of the gospel. So we must have the sensitivity to adapt. Are you willing to adapt for the gospel? The second thing we see from this passage is a sensitivity to wait. Sensitivity to wait. Verse 6, uh, it, it's amazing to see here that Paul's on this journey. He's set out, and, and he's thinking, he, th- he thinks he's got a plan. He's going to go to this church and that church. He's going to travel around this region. But as he's going along, it says in verse 6 that he was forbidden by the Holy Spirit. And again, in verse 7, it says the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go places that they assumed. This is why we were going. We were going out here. But it says the Spirit forbade them, and the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. What's going on here? I, I'm not quite sure. Was it a heart hunch? Was it something that he felt in his gut? Was it a voice that he heard from the Spirit? Paul, I'm not sending you there. Don't go there. We don't know. Luke doesn't tell us. But we do know this, that Paul was sensitive to the lead of the Spirit to know where there were closed doors, and he waited for doors to be opened. And that door was open. In verse 9, it says that Paul is sleeping there down in Troas. They kind of cut this path that were between two regions that they wanted to go to. And and they stop there in Troas, and and they're sleeping at night. And there's this vision in the night of this man across the sea. If you look at your map in Europe and, and Turkey, okay, across the sea. And he's standing there in Macedonia, okay, northern Greece. And he's saying, come, help us. Come help us. Paul wakes up and he thinks, what in the world is going on? And he makes the conclusion. He's been waiting. He's been waiting. He's been trusting God. And he says, finally, the Lord has shown us the door that he's opened to us for ministry. God, verse 10 says, God has called us to preach the gospel to them. And immediately he got up and they went. What's going on here? I mean, if you look back in verse 36, Paul's plan was to go and visit the cities where they had planted churches in before and to preach the gospel to them and to those cities. Is that a good thing to do? Absolutely. But God had different plans. Was Paul's desire for ministry and his plan, was it bad? Was it a bad plan? No, but it wasn't exactly God's plan. God's plan was, Paul, I want you to go and I'm going to show you where I'm going to send you. God had different plans for him. Paul and his companions, they had to wait They had to be sensitive to the Spirit's leading. Oh, man, I look around this room. I see some of the best planners I've ever met in my life. You guys keep me on my toes, man. You know, when we're going to do an event, like, praise God, we've got, by the way, Reagan, uh, Reagan, uh, she's uh, agreed to be our our event planner. I'm so grateful for her. When you see her, just tell her thank you and her team because they're planning this event next week. But if it were me, I'd start planning, like, tomorrow. (laughs) And it would be really lame, Okay. Y'all are planners, and I'm so grateful for that. I really am so grateful for that. I think Paul was a planner. 
But yet, even in the midst of being a planner, he was sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. I want to share a story with you that I just heard this week from one of our very own, from Karis Hicks, okay? Now, Karis, I invited her to come and share this story, but she's living sent to your children right now across the hallway, right? She's, uh, she's ministering in our kids' ministry. I'm so grateful for those of you that volunteer and, and bless our kids and our family so much. But she shared this story this week. She goes, Pastor Matthew, and she shared it with our prayer team. God has opened a door that I thought never possibly could be opened for, for gospel ministry in the public school where I teach. She's a teacher at the high school level at Garfield Senior High in Woodbridge. She describes it as a beautifully diverse school in both beliefs and, and demographics, but it didn't have a Christian student group, and so she's been waiting. She says she's been praying nearly every morning on the way to school for, for five or six years. That's a long time. She's been praying for Christian students to be bold and to come together to create a Christian student organization at her school and to live sent. But here's the caveat to all that. It had to be initiated by the student. Uh, uh, teachers are, are only allowed to sponsor, meaning they could share their room and provide a space for meeting and, and provide some guidance, but she couldn't initiate it, so she had to wait. She says, Lord, I, I'm going to trust you in this. She says, so I prayed. She said, I remember many times, year after year, this feeling of hopelessness. Or she was unclear. What's the Lord doing? He knows this desire that I have to go and live sent but I knew that I needed to keep waiting, she says, on his timing. She needed to be sensitive to God at work, waiting to see what he would do. And so she just shared it with this week with us. On Thursday morning, she says a teacher from the school who knew her and knew her story a little bit, a teacher brought one of his students to her classroom because the teacher knew that Karis was a Christ follower. And the student asked if she would be willing to host an after-school Christian student organization. She was thrilled. She had to share it with us. She texted us on the prayer group. She's like, you guys, the Lord has opened a door that I didn't think would ever be opened. I've been waiting and waiting and waiting. Karis has been sensitive. She didn't stop praying. She didn't stop waiting. She just say, Lord, I'm ready to go. Whenever you open that door, I'm ready to walk through it. Five to six years, she waited and I'm not trying to prop Karis up on this pedestal or anything, but man, the endurance. I hope that there's a door that you've been waiting for the Lord to open for years and that you haven't stopped praying about it. Is there anybody in your life that's worth praying over for five or six years? I think there is. The sensitivity to wait. Proverbs 16.9 says this, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Friends, when we're called to live sent, we, we must be sensitive to adapt, but we also must be sensitive to wait. And I love what Kara says. She goes, sometimes we have no idea what the Lord is doing behind the scenes, how he's preparing and using his people to trust him and wait on him and live sent. I said, you got to share that story this week, Karis. And so I shared it on her behalf. We're not just called to be sensitive to other people. We're called to be sensitive to the Spirit's moving in His work. He leads, we follow. He closes doors, He opens doors. We say, Lord, I will wait for you. I want to live sent. Are you sensitive enough to wait for Him to open those doors for you? I hope you are. Thirdly, what we see in this passage is a sensitivity to seek. 
a sensitivity to seek. I love the story. Here's Paul. They, they find themselves now in Macedonia, and they go to the, the, one of the most prominent cities right there in Macedonia, to Philippi. It was a, a Roman colony. It had a lot of privileges. If, if you lived in Philippi and were born in Philippi, it's as if you were born in Rome. You get all the citizenship rights. It's right on this major crossroads. All kinds of business and, and prosperity and, and privilege was going on there. I mean, it was an influential city in that region. In fact, he, Paul later writes an entire letter to the church that, that is built right here and starts right here in this story at Philippi. He goes to the riverside. <coughs> Excuse me. What's going on here? Why is he going to the riverside, right? And usually he goes into a synagogue. He goes into a place where people are talking God talk and talking scripture. And now, okay, let me come in and let me tell you who Jesus is and gives the gospel. But there's none of those places there's likely no synagogue, though some commentators think that maybe this was kind of that, that group. But a synagogue needed 10 men to start one, to start a synagogue. You need 10 Jewish men. But there doesn't seem to be that presence there. But he goes down to the river because he knows that's where people are going to be praying. That's where people are going to be seeking God. That's where people are going to be going to, to go through some of that ceremonial cleansing, right? This is where people are going to be observing the law of Moses. And I want to share the good news with them. So he goes down. He doesn't know what, who he's going to meet. But he meets this woman. It says that her name is Lydia. It's, it's probably that she's actually named after her region in Thyatira uh, in Asia Minor. So she'd come actually where Paul had come from just prior. And she's from that region. She's a seller of purple. She's likely a wealthy woman. That's why she can allow the church to, to meet in her, in her house later on. But she's there and she's a God worshiper, but, but she doesn't know much. And Paul shows up and he says, let me tell you about the Messiah that is promised in the scriptures. Jesus, the Messiah. He doesn't see a synagogue. He doesn't see a big religious community. Paul must be tempted to think, and I'm sure Timothy's thinking, Paul, are, we, are you sure we are at the right place? It doesn't seem like there are any open doors here. But God is at work. God is at work behind the scenes. He's seeking, and he invites Paul and Timothy. Come on, guys. Come on. Let's get down to the river. You need to be seeking because I am seeking people who will become mine. God was still seeking so Paul went where he could find someone who possibly could be receptive. I love what verse 14 says. It's so beautiful, friends. If you've got a Bible open, just take a look with me again. In verse 14, it says here, uh, One who heard was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. And look what it says right after that. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention what was said by Paul. The Lord opened her heart. This is, this is why we live sent. This is why we live sent. This is why we're willing to be sensitive enough to adapt. This is why we're sensitive enough to wait when doors are closed and then walk through doors when they open up. This is why we're willing to be sent to go to places where it seems like God isn't doing anything. But if the Lord is leading us there, just say, I'm going to be faithful to proclaim because maybe, just maybe, when I share the good news, somebody's going to say, that's the best news that I've ever heard best news I've ever heard. This Jesus, he died for me. He rose from the dead to give me life. He knows all that I've ever done, and yet he's willing to forgive me and adopt me and accept me into his family. The Lord opened Lydia's heart. Friend, I want to tell you, if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, guess what? It's true of you. It's true of Lydia. It's true of you. The Lord opened your heart. Remember, look back and think about that time. Oh, man, I remember. I was deep and dark in sin and, and rebellion, and my heart was broken, and I didn't have any answers. 
And then the gospel shows up through a parent, through a friend, through a sibling, through a boss or a coworker, through a neighbor, through a, a, a kid's church teacher. Who knows how the gospel was delivered to you? And God, in his powerful, gracious, sovereign plan, said, I'm going to open your heart to receive this good news message. God is the one that's in charge of this whole plan. He's working behind the scenes, just like Karis in her story shared. He's working behind the scenes, not just to open doors, but he's working behind the scenes. And even the hardest of hearts, remember Saul, Paul, he had a hard heart. And God opened his heart to receive the good news. And he does it for Lydia. That's the hope that we have. When we enter into these spaces and we think, there's no way the gospel is going to have any, any prosperity here in this place. It's the, these are cold hearts. People don't want it. But friend, when he opens that door, when you're sensitive to adapt, when you're sensitive to wait, and then when you're sensitive to seek, just maybe when you proclaim that good news message, Christ came to save sinners like you and me, and he rose from the dead. And if you believe in him, you can have eternal life today. That's it. That's just a simple message. Message. God is working behind the scenes. If you're seeking, he's seeking. He can open a heart in a moment to say, yes, I want Jesus. And that's what happens. That's what happens to Lydia. And not just to her, but her whole family. A whole family is rescued by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they have a big baptism service. Oh, friends, I want to see some baptisms here at Fairfax Bible Church. I want to see them down at All Nations, All People's Church. I want to see them at Redeeming Grace Church. I want to see them across the way at Congress Heights Community Church in Washington, D.C. I want to see it in our church network. Oh, we want to see, we want to see baptisms, right? Not just pat ourselves on the back. Oh, look at what we did. No, because God is opening hearts. But we got to be sensitive to adapt, to wait, and to seek. What a day that must have been. I'm sure Paul and Timothy and Silas look at each other and be like, did you see this coming? <laughs> no. But yet the Lord allowed this to happen because they were sensitive to his work. Luke 19.10 this is the very mission of Jesus. Luke 19 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. He didn't just show up and say, All right, everybody, here's my address. If you want to find me, you know where to find me. Right? Sometimes that's what we do. If people want to find us here at this church, eh, they see the sign out there. Oh, they can find our webpage. No, no, no. Jesus sought the lost. We're called to seek the lost, just like our Master and Savior, Jesus. Believers are called to live sent so we are called to seek out those whom God is drawing to himself to be saved. Friends, seek out people. Seek out needy people. Seek out broken people. Seek out hurting people. You, you can't be their Messiah. You can't be their Savior, but you know the one who is. You can deliver the good news of Jesus Christ. Seek out the questioning. Seek out conversations. Have a sensitive and open ear to say, Lord, I'm adapting, I'm waiting, and I'm seeking. Is this a conversation you want me to have right now? Seek, seek them out. Living sent means living sensitively, living sensitively. I want to share another story with you of a, of a God-fearing woman who loved Jesus. Her name is Amy Carmichael, Amy Carmichael, and there's a photo of her. She was born in Ireland in 1867, and at the age 25, she set sail for the East, giving her life to sharing Jesus in Japan, China, Ceylon, and finally in India, where she spent the final 55 years of her life. During her first five years in South India, 
Amy Carmichael diligently worked to learn the local language, Tamil, adapting, right? She connected with local women and used every opportunity to share the Bible. She also learned of the Devadasi. These were the temple prostitutes. This was a system of enslaving little girls, but she initially couldn't gain access to them. These were girls who had been dedicated to Hindu temples for various reasons, to fulfill a vow or family custom, to settle a social issue because their poor mothers could find no suitable husband for them or because the family lacked funds to pay for funeral rituals. As a result, these little girls became currency. And knowledge of the system became a sword in Amy's missionary soul. In 1901, despite attempts to uh, frighten the girls in the temple by calling Amy Carmichael a child-stealing amul, or meaning mother, a seven-year-old girl named Prina fled from a Hindu temple and found Carmichael. Within three months of Prina adopting Carmichael, she adopted Amy as her mother, four more children came into Carmichael's care. To them, she became known as Amma, their mother. And the overwhelming desire to save the children became a fire in Amy Carmichael's bones. Eventually, Amma worked to establish uh, the Donover Fellowship. Near India's southernmost point, this became home for a peculiar yet God-woven family of women and girls. And later, rescued boys also joined as well, along with missionaries from India, Ireland, England, Scotland, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and the Netherlands, Germany, and Switzerland, all over the place. They came to be a part of this ministry. And by the time of Amma, Amy Carmichael's death in 1951, the Donover family included nearly 900 souls. Now listen to this, her sensitivity. And there's some things in here that we would certainly not all completely agree with, but, but listen to this. In an attempt to respect Indian culture, members of the Donover organization wore Indian dress and gave the rescued children Indian names. Amy Carmichael herself dressed in Indian clothes and even, clothes and even dyed her skin dark with coffee. She wanted to adapt. Now, many of us would look at that, oh, that's cultural appropriation, right? Yeah, it's true. But guess what? She had a desire to be sensitive to the needs of those around her. She wanted to adapt. She was willing to wait. She was seeking because of love, because of the gospel. And while serving in India, Carmichael received a letter from a young lady who was considering life as a missionary. And so she kind of wanted to get her feedback a little bit. And she asked Amy Carmichael this, what is missionary life like? And this is what Carmichael wrote back. Missionary life is simply a chance to die. Missionary life is simply a chance to die. It's, it's, a, it's a way of life, living scent that says, because I'm going to be sensitive to the needs of others, it means that sometimes I've got to kill my own desires. I've got to kill my own needs. That doesn't mean that we don't trust God to meet our needs. We do. We need, we need sleep. We need shelter. We need food and clothing. But even Jesus had said, himself said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things that you need will be added to you. And so those desires, those, those desires that I'm sure she had maybe as a little girl for maybe living in Ireland where she grew up and, and then, you know, maybe having a husband and a family and, and children of her own that looked like her with a husband who looked like her, that all kind of died away because she was sensitive to the, the drive of the gospel to go live sent. And she adapted and she waited and she sought and God gave fruit. God opened some hearts to the gospel and she had an amazing opportunity 
But friends, that's what the call is here. This isn't a glorious call, all right? And this isn't probably going to attract crowds of thousands of people. But you know what? This is the call of the gospel. This is what Paul and, and Timothy understood, that we're called to live sensitively, gospel-sensitively in this world, this world that's so easily offendable and this world that offends so easily, but yet we come in with this message of hope that even confront, confronts people in sin and says, because Jesus came to seek and save the lost, here I am. I'm going to live gospel-sensitively, just like others who've gone before us, Paul, Timothy, Amy Carmichael, even our precious sister Karis this week, waiting on the Lord to do a work. I want to ask you, what does this mean for Monday? A question that we try and ask as often as we can. We've heard a message. We've, we've seen scripture. How is this going to change how I live tomorrow? Living out the commands and the implications of the gospel. What does this mean for Monday? Well, first of all, I want to ask you, are you sensitive enough to adapt? What's God prompting you right now in your life to adapt to those around you with gospel sensitivity? Maybe, maybe it's those neighbors that, that just look a little different than you, sound a little different than you. They eat different foods than you do. You could smell it coming from their kitchen, and you feel like we hardly have anything in common. How is God calling you to adapt, to shine the light of Jesus Christ, to love them right where they are, to maybe put down some of your cultural preferences and say, hey, teach me something. That smells good. What's that like? Show me. I'd like to learn. I'll bet you most of the time people would love to be able to share some of their backgrounds with you if you would just learn to adapt a little bit. How is God calling you to adapt right now so that you could live gospel sensitively? Living sent means living sensitively. Secondly, are, are you patiently waiting? Are you patiently persevering in prayer and faith for God to open doors for the gospel? Don't stop praying. You know, just a few months ago, we, we spent a whole month praying for our ones through this prayer campaign. Who's your one? Do you remember if you were here? Who was that one or, or two or three that you were praying for? Are you still praying? Still waiting, still seeking. Lord, I want to be sensitive. I don't want to get a hard heart because I've been waiting so long. Would you open the door for the gospel of Jesus? And then finally, are you seeking? Are you seeking? What direction is your life pointed? Is it pointed inwardly for my own needs, for my own desires, for my retirement and my comfort? Or are you living gospel sensitively to say, I've been called to follow my master and with my fellow brothers and sisters in my church family to live sent. I want my life to be pointed outward. Think about how you use your resources, how you use your time, why God's giving you that job. Is it for yourself or to live outwardly focused? For yourself or for others? Do you wait in prayer? Are you looking to live sent? Are you seeking others is your family working to strengthen yourselves only or to build up others? We want to have the strongest families that God offers in Scripture right here in this church. We do. We want to build strong families, but not just so that we could say, wow, look at these trophies of strong families, but so that strong families can go and point outward and live sent. Which direction is your life pointed, inward or outward? And what steps is God asking you to take today? And as we close, and I'm going to invite the team to come back up now as we close in a few songs, or a song I want to ask you, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, I want you to pause for a moment and think, man, these Christians are wearing me out. <laughs> now, this, is, this is hard to live sensitively in this life. Why would they do this? Why would they live in such a way? I just want to invite you to just take a moment to realize the lengths that Christians, because of Christ, would go for you to get you, to seek you, to love you, to adapt to you, to wait for you because we want to see you receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. 
Look at this as a sign of love for you. You may have come across some insensitive and offensive Christians. I apologize for that. And I've probably been that at one time. But this isn't Jesus' way. No, we're called to reach out with gospel sensitivity. Christians are. Why? Because Jesus reached out for you. He reached out to you. Jesus is the one that lived with the highest height of gospel sensitivity. In fact, in Philippians 2, it says, He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but He made Himself nothing, becoming as a servant. The Bible says, the the Apostle John says, He put on human flesh and became just like us. This Jesus, He's sensitive to every need you feel. Jesus adapted to reach you. He waited on His Father's timing for you. He came to seek and to save you. And ultimately, he bled and died on that cross and rose from the dead for you. That's what it means. We don't become these just champions of Christianity. No, we're following a Savior who lives sensitively to seek and to save you. Will you receive him today? Receive him by faith. That's all it takes. You can be brought into this family of God today if you'd say, I accept the gospel. I accept the good news of what Jesus has done for me. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven. We thank you so much that you didn't stay on your throne in heaven when we were down here on earth sinning and saying, well, it's over for them. No, your heart, your heart is gracious and compassionate and it's slow to anger and it's abounding in steadfast love. So you sought us, you sought us, you reached way down for us in your son Jesus. He is the one that showed sensitivity by becoming a servant to us, putting on human flesh and dying for our sins. And so, Lord, if there's anyone here today that feels like no one understands, no one sees, oh, let them look to Jesus, the one who was sensitive to their needs and reached out for them. And, Lord, as we get ready to live and and go out these doors here today, we're not going to stop church. We're going to be the church. We want to live sent. Would you help us to adapt? Would you help us to wait? And would you help us to seek Lord, not with a cultural sensitivity only, but with a gospel sensitivity, that we would be the most flexible people on the face of the earth, not because we get rolled over, but because we love Jesus and we love his gospel. So would you help us, Lord, teach us to be gospel sensitive as we love Christ and live sent here this day. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.